Hey, it's Emily Russell. And Zach Hirsch. We heard from Jackie Bray throughout the podcast. She's the commissioner of New York's Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Services. She really helped us understand how big a threat far-right extremism is in New York, how it compares to other security threats here and around the country. We interviewed Bray last fall, and as we wrap up our podcast, we wanted to share a part of our conversation with her. So here it is. We look at extremist online extremist activity every month, and New York State, uh, this is not where you want to be in the top, but New York State ranks in the top five across the country of online extremist activity almost every month. In 2020, I believe is the year that we came in only second to California in terms of domestic extremist incidents. And so we have significant domestic extremist activity across the state. We are looking at online patterns and online trends every single month, for example, this activity often really mirrors what's going on in the press. We've seen, we saw like a 170% spike in extremist activity uh, targeting LGBTQ New Yorkers after the Tennessee shooting. Uh, we've seen an, a significant increase in extremist activity targeting or online activity targeting black New Yorkers after certain news events. We, we often see a spike targeting law enforcement or targeting elected officials, depending on what's going on. Going on in the press. Over the summer, the Proud Boys marched in the streets around Saratoga Springs, New York. In Boston Spa, there was a business owner identifying as queer who said she was the main target of a Proud Boys march. How does something like that fit in with the work you're doing on domestic terrorism prevention? So let me say that, that right, that we're seeing this incredible rise in hate-filled violence and hate-filled vandalism and hate-filled intimidation. And what we think we have to do to stop that is, one, we have to absolutely prosecute to the fullest extent criminal acts, right? If people are doing things criminally, we have to make sure that we bring the full weight of New York's justice system down. But number two, so much of this are things that end up being largely protected by the First Amendment. You know, it is legal to march in a town. And as much as I am repulsed by people's hate and repulsed by white supremacy and repulsed by challenges, aggressive challenges to the rule of law, as long as that's not violent, that is often legal. And what our job is, is to make sure we have the tools and the tactics in place to interrupt before violence happens. And, and threat assessment and management teams work to help us do that even before something has been triggered where law enforcement can be the right response. Commissioner, many people in law enforcement are politically conservative and might feel some level of sympathy for a group like the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers, which actively recruits veterans and police. How concerned are you about extremism within law enforcement? Very. Full stop. We know that domestic extremists and organizations, the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, the Three Percenters, the Bugalo Boys, uh, recruit 
in formal military and in active law enforcement, active retired law enforcement. And it is incredibly concerning to me the fact that we not only see that across the nation, but we certainly have instances of that here in New York State. I think that it is incumbent upon our law enforcement agencies to recognize how deleterious, how undermining to trust between law enforcement and the community, allowing people who are members of those organizations within our ranks is and uh, has been, is, will be. And I think New Yorkers should be aware that that is a tactic of these groups to recruit in law enforcement and former military, and that we're going to have to take some action to protect our law enforcement from that. We've interviewed folks about the far-right movement and violent extremism here in the North Country. And a response we hear sometimes is that the Black Lives Matter movement is more violent and more disruptive, and that there's too much focus on the far-right, and that that's unfair. What would you say to that? That's factually not true. The FBI and the Department of Homeland Security, for the two previous administrations, so both in the Trump administration and in the Biden administration, have been consistent that white supremacist violent extremism is the greatest terrorist threat to the United States, and that holds for New York, too. And while there has been an undermining of the sort of broad acceptance of institutional information, the truth is that when we look at the facts, we see far more violent extremism and violent extremism that leads to death from racially and ethnically motivated violent extremists in the white supremacist and the neo-Nazi groups. Those are just facts. We don't see anywhere near that from groups like Black Lives Matter. It's not in the same category of groups. That doesn't mean that we don't look across the political spectrum for extremist activity, but we have to be clear-eyed and honest about where most of that violence is coming from. And right now, most of that violence is coming from white supremacist, anti-government, anti-Semitic, right-wing extremists. I would not be doing my job if I wasn't honest with New Yorkers about the actual facts And those are the facts. Why do you think the Black Lives Matter movement is the focus of those kinds of responses from folks? Racism. You know, our original sin in this country is that of white supremacy. This country was founded on the backs of black Americans, enslaved people, with land stolen from indigenous Americans. And that legacy persists. And as a white American myself... I have to own up to that. I have to acknowledge that. Far too many white Americans see black protest as threatening without any evidence that it is actually threatening or actually violent. And that's a legacy of racism. So dozens of New Yorkers have been charged for their role in the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. We interviewed one of them who served three months in prison, and he's now even firmer in his beliefs that the 2020 election was stolen and that there's a deep state. How concerned should we be about more of that kind of political violence leading up to the next presidential election? U.S. elections are safe and they're secure, and it is incredibly important for our democracy that we all go out and vote. 
And I think that obviously threats of violence around the election undermine our democracy. They, they're designed specifically to undermine people's confidence in the vote. And the most important thing for all of us to do as Americans who care deeply about American values and American freedoms and American liberty is to go out and vote and to not be intimidated by threats of political violence. I am confident that in New York State, we have the resources and the plans and the coordination we need to make sure that our elections are safe, that our elections are safe from a cyber perspective, that our elections are safe from a physical perspective. Um, but, you know, obviously the fact that we even have to have this conversation in this country, in this day, is heartbreaking and is designed by people who would prefer autocratic and authoritarian government to suppress our vote. And I think New Yorkers won't let that happen. And uh, I'm confident that our elections will be safe this year. Knowing that there is online extremism activity in New York, you know, that far right flyers are going up um, in the North Country, that there are groups that are active and public in a way here. What message would you have to people that live in this area? You know, is there anything that folks in the North Country should be doing, should be looking out for? What I, I guess, what role does the public have to play in this moment? That's such a great question. I'm so glad you asked it. I think two things. I think the first thing is that we all have to realize that we are in this moment of increasing hate and extremism, and every single one of us has a role to play. Your role might be to challenge that hate at the dinner table or to challenge it out at the bar with your colleagues after work, right? Your role might be to say, hey, you know what, Uncle Joe, that's not a funny joke, right? Or, hey, you know what? No, actually, that's not a normal thing to say. But we all can play a role and simply challenging the speech, simply saying, yeah, I don't believe that. Now, I'm not, that's not cool with me, is an important way to reassert the norms in this country, to reassert that hate really has no place here. And then the second thing I want people to know is that you should not be a bystander to someone radicalizing in your own circle of loved ones. If you have a kid who is saying, you know, is, is online and is going down rabbit holes and then is saying stuff at the dinner table that you know you didn't teach him or you know you didn't teach her. It's almost always him, but you know that you didn't teach them. If you have a student in your class, if you have a cousin or a parent that you feel like has been radicalized over the last several years and you're worried about, there are ways to seek help. There are ways to get the tools that you need to intervene. You do not have to be a bystander watching family members radicalize, regardless of the ideology, right? It's not about ideology. It's about the fact that we live in a multiracial, pluralistic, democratic society that is worth fighting for. And fundamentalism of any type that leads to violence is a threat to that. And we don't have to be bystanders. We don't have to be bystanders in our communities. We don't have to be bystanders in our families. If All Else Fails is hosted, reported, and produced by me, Zach Hirsch, and Emily Russell. Our editor is David Summerstein. 
Mixing and sound design by Zach Hirsch. We have grant support from Grist and the Center for Rural Strategies. Our theme is called Sunday Lights by One Such Village. Other music in this series from the Blue Dot Sessions. NCPR's station manager is Mitch Tyke. Our digital team is Bill Hanel, Caitlin Kelly, Ethan Shanty, and Doyle Dean. The artwork for our show was designed by Dan Cash. Special thanks to Caroline Dries and Odette Youssef of NPR, the Kiplinger Program at Ohio University, Paul and Ellen Berkheimer, Ben Chug, and everyone who spoke with us for this series. If All Else Fails is a production of North Country Public Radio in partnership with Zach Hirsch in New York. If you like this show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. They say it helps. And don't forget to subscribe. Thanks for listening.